0: and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW group. Void reporting prohibited by law. See terms and conditions
1: 18. plus. Log Talk Radio. The State of the Union and the State of Women's Choice. Those are just two of the topics we'll be talking about today on Momocrats Mama, Mama Chat. I'm Donna Schwartz-Mills, and I've got cinematic with me, and pretty soon we'll be welcoming our very special guest, Gloria Felt. And because of that, we're going to have the chat room open, which is on blogtalkradio.com slash
2: Finn, did you watch the speech last night? I did, and um I managed to get on the on the cover it live um uh, live blogging and tweeting and chatting and all of that um for the the meat of the state of the union speech and um I have to say, you know, I agreed with everyone in the chat room who said that it was physically painful to not see the gavel in Nancy Pelosi's hands. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that was a striking difference for me on the opening of the uh, you know, 112th Congress with this big um, ceremonial speech. Well,
1: I was I was in the car as usual and listening on the radio, but my my daughter said, "Mom, who is that guy crying behind the president?" And uh, "Why is he so pink?" So, <laughs> I thought that was really funny. Um, What did you answer?
0: Hi, this is Gloria. (laughs) I just joined. Hi, hi, Gloria. (laughs) What What did
1: you tell your daughter? I want to know that. (laughs) Well, I said, well, it's because I was in the car. You know, I was driving home. I was in traffic. I said, well, gosh, that sounds like it could be John Boehner, you know, crying. (laughs) You know, sure enough, I got home for the tail end of the speech, and there he was. So I think he was crying again when I... I think it was you know at the end when um, when the President was talking about how wonderful it was in this country for people with their backgrounds to to make it as far as they have. And you can see the tears starting to come.
2: Yeah, yeah. Well, before we fully dive in, let me just introduce Gloria a little bit for the folks who may be listening who aren't completely familiar with her background. Um, She's an activist, keynote speaker, author, and commentator. And um, part of the reason we're talking to her today is that she's just released a book called No Excuses, Nine Ways Women Can Change How We Think About Power. And we'll definitely be talking about that, um, you know, as the hour unwinds. Um, So she talks about how women are sort of stuck at about 18% of top leadership roles. And I'm guessing this is not only in Congress, but also in corporate America. And we'll talk about this later, too. And uh, through inspirational stories and practical tools, she shows how women can redefine power lead themselves with intention, and reach parity from the boardroom to the bedroom for good, for their own good and also society's good. So she's written a couple other books. Um, one is called Send Yourself Roses, and that's written with Kathleen Turner. I'm guessing that's the amazing actress. <laughs> the yeah. War on Choice, and Behind Every Choice is a Story. And a, another very notable thing about um, Gloria Felt is that she was past president and CEO of Planned Parenthood Federation of America. Um, and uh, maybe another another notable thing that she includes in her bio is that um, she was a clean mom in West Texas. So she's had quite an incredible life journey and has all kinds of wisdom to share and we're just so excited to talk with you today. I'm really really excited to hear about your book. And uh if you don't mind um you know we talk a little more about the state of the union. I'm curious about what you th- what you thought as you as you were listening.
0: Well, um, by the way, I'm really excited to be here. I I, I love m- what you do, and um, really am very honored that you invited me to come and and be able to have this opportunity to chat with you this afternoon. So, uh, yes, the State of the Union. You know, I I really wanted to think that it was it was absolutely uh, wonderful over the top, and in many respects, I think it had some excellent rhetorical points. I I, I thought it was reasonably well delivered. Um, I was thinking this morning um, as I was pedaling away on the exercise bike, which is often when I have my most (laughs) erudite thoughts, I was comparing the president's speech to the film, the the movie, The King's Speech, which I saw recently. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking about the comparison of the king who understood the importance of a leader's speech to setting the moral tone and the direction for a nation mm-hmm. and the and the president whose speech flows quite eloquently and elegantly but he tends to use his gifts to lead from Behind where he thinks the nation is already going. Mm. So I think it was great that he focused on the economy. I loved hearing words like innovation. I, I think some of the pundits made fun of that, but honestly, that's how we will grow the economy. It won't really have to do with more taxes, less taxes, more this, more that. It's always innovation that grows the economy and creates new jobs. So, I, frankly, I was delighted to hear his his emphasis on innovation and education. I, I feel like that's our great strength.
2: Mm-hmm. But I
0: also think that it, it, he needs to be in front, of, more in front of the parade, not just looking at the polls and, and, and responding to them. I, I feel like he thinks he's leading from the center, but he's really, I, I'd like to see him get out front more. And I, I didn't hear the word uh, gun safety at all, or, or I was, hoping he would say something about that, Mm -hmm. didn't hear the word women at all, was hoping he might say something about paycheck (laughs) fairness. Um, So, you know, there were some gaps that I think need to be filled in. And and, um, overall, overall I think it was certainly a credible speech, and I, I think it's going to serve him fairly well for the short term. He's going to have to do some more things for the long term.
2: Yeah, I, I I wonder if in some ways it wasn't a little bit of a defensive speech in that you know look we we really worked our butts off. Nancy Pelosi just you know did amazing things in the house and yeah. passing more than 490 pieces of legislation. I believe I read somewhere on, um, you know, much of which, which got bogged down in the Senate and, and didn't go anywhere, unfortunately. But regardless, I mean, it was just an enormous amount of work that they did in the first two years. You know, passing all kinds of landmark legislation, and they really seized you know the majorities that they had and ran with it. And so now, I felt in some ways it was a little bit of a defensive speech in that, okay, we've taken this, you know, we've taken we've taken this hill. Now we're going to defend it.
0: You know? <laughs> well, it and, was kind of uh, amusing. Yeah. yeah, it was kind of the, the uh, when he when he talked about winning the future, which was one of his major themes. I was mm-hmm. thinking, well, winning the future, did we lose it or what? I mean. <laughs>
1: What? Well, I, thought we were, I thought we were doing pretty well. In a way, you know, the last election set us back, and you know, I was I was just personally relieved that, you know, with everybody sitting together, you you didn't have any you lie moments. You know, yeah. it was so contentious last year, mm-hmm. and and so distasteful. You know, this was dignified. It was called, and I. You know, I, I feel like I need to trust the president because, you know, as upset as I was with him for making the deal on the tax cuts in the lame duck session, he mentioned it again that the upper, you know, 2% needs to have those taxes, you know, raised. Mm-hmm. And, you know, all the things that got accomplished after that. And I just feel like I don't want to be second-guessing him. He's smarter than me. hmm hmm
0: He's he's not quite as good as at triangulating, however, as Bill Clinton was and so given oh, well, his he was a master. Yes, <laughs> given the difficulties that he's that Obama is going to have with the current Congress, it's gonna be it's gonna be quite a challenge for him and I hope that he will find greater strength than he has shown. I, I just you know, he thinks he's leading from the center, but 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 he keeps preemptively trying to find middle ground with people who don't keep their promises i we saw that on health reform with the deals that he made preemptively with the uh, health insurance companies and the pharmaceutical companies and uh, with you know he really pretty much um browbeat the women's groups into accepting the caps amendment that was supposed to Mm -hmm. keep uh coverage of abortion static no changes no better no Worse, but instead, I think anybody who's ever done any real politics up front would know when you start from a middle place, a compromise, you have no place to go but where you don't want yeah, to go. That's right. And and so I, I just hope that he learns that you know the one thing that uh, if you were if you remember when John Ashcroft was Attorney General, we discovered uh, he was quite to the right and we discovered that the one thing we agreed on was that old adage that there's nothing in the middle of the road but a yellow stripe and a dead armadillo.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and
0: I really think that's a lesson that Obama needs to learn. I'm all for I'm all for coordination, collaboration and compromise when you can actually move something forward. But if your colleagues are trying to just simply keep you from Advancing any kind of legislation, then your best strategy is not to try to compromise with them, but rather to go to flank them and to, mm-hmm. to to go to the public and and get the public agreeing with you on the agenda that you want to move forward.
2: Yeah, and I and I think it's so interesting what you're saying about sort of trying to lead from the center, but actually being a little bit a step behind, because I think, you know, the youth vote was so important to Obama. And granted, you know, this is maybe demographically a group of voters that hasn't quite settled into their voting habits, hasn't quite kind of, you know, picked their party designation and settled into it, um, and also may have expectations which, you know, are kind of ran up against the cold, hard brick wall of reality in terms of, you know, what's possible in Congress. I think we all sort of felt that, you know, Reality uh, moment uh, many times throughout the past few years, but um, but I I think that's what's kind of interesting too because I think you know so often um, the youth move various youth movements are like way out ahead way out you know breaking new ground you know kind of out in the front of all of us. <laughs> And um, and so that's a, another thing that I find a little bit puzzling that doesn't quite square to me because, you know, he did have such youth support. He, he did at least campaign in a way that showed that he really sort of understood that demographic. And so I think when um, all of us, you know, saw the inevitable sort of pullback from a lot of those um, really strong positions, uh, at least in the campaign, you know um that was that was sort of a an uncomfortable you know reckoning and then to see you know sort of further as you say, <laughs> trying to keep the center together, but actually from behind instead of maybe trying to get out in front of some of these things and stake out, you know, a clearer position um, is is a little disappointing. So we'll we'll see what happens because you know for 2012, obviously, you know these are these youth voters are now four years older and wiser <laughs> and all the rest confronting you know the uh, very difficult economy that we have and you know in some cases graduating from college not able to get a job. Um, you know, all those kinds of things. So it'll be a very interesting picture in, in 2012, I think. <clears throat> and it'll be interesting to see, you know, how he uh, has to reposition himself, you know, yeah, accordingly. Well, you know, so much
0: of what happens in the next election will be up to us, mm-hmm. to to we, the people. And I I hope that we remember that elections don't end on Election Day, that actually the next election starts the next day. Yeah. And and that we really we do we can have an influence. We need to let him know what we think and what we want.
2: Mhm.
0: And uh yeah, sure, the the youth vote that was that was energized in two thousand and eight is now going to be four years older in two thousand and twelve, but there's a whole other cohort rising up behind them and mm-hmm. and you know we need to engage them and Obama needs to engage them and right. and hopefully uh hopefully he's thinking about all those things.
2: Right, right. So, um, should we should we talk ab- about your book? I'm really um curious, you know, how it is that you started you embarked on the project and, you know, you've been go- it's been it was released last fall, I believe, so now you've had a chance to go around on book tours with it and maybe you can tell us a little bit about the process of um coming to write it and then also putting it out there in the world and the kind of response that you've been getting. I would be delighted to. I basically, no excuses,
0: took about 18 months to write, but a lifetime on the front lines to learn what I put <laughs> into it. So it's, it's the culmination of, of many things and and many sources. I, the, the immediate inspiration for it, though, was somewhat related to the conversation we were just having about politics. <laughs> and it is that in 2008, I wrote an article for Elle magazine that was supposed to be about the various organizations that are helping women run for office. You know, there are so many of them now. There are the nonpartisan ones or bipartisan or nonpartisan. Some say I'm bipartisan. Some say we're nonpartisan, but mm-hmm. like the Women's Campaign Forum, the White House Project, the Women's Political Caucus, and so forth. And then, of mm-hmm. course, there are partisan groups like the wish list and uh, the uh, Emily's list, and you know, on, on either side of the aisle. Mm-hmm. But, but uh, and, and they have spent millions of dollars, and they have certainly engaged many, many women in considering the idea of running for office. But you know, in the last three decades, they have scarcely moved the dial forward. <laughs> uh, women are still standing at 17% of Congress, a little bit less actually, there were some one or two uh, losses during, during this last election and in state legislatures it's a little bit better, maybe 23-25% women in the state legislatures and so this, despite all the work that's been done, so I began to look into why that was. And I, I love Jennifer Lawless's book called It Takes a Candidate. I, she has actually an update released called It Still Takes a Candidate, in which she verifies much of the data that I'm talking about in terms of women still not coming up to the plate and deciding to run for office. But, 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 And she, she postulated that it was sort of women didn't have as much ambition as much political ambition in particular
1: as mm-hmm. men do, mm-hmm. the
0: more I looked at it, the more I thought, no, it's not that women don't have ambition, because if a woman feels like there's an injustice and she can do something about it to fix it, she'll jump in there and she'll do it. I mean, if, she, if for example, uh, Patty Patty Murray in Washington, when a state legislator who she was trying to persuade to restore funding for her child's kindergarten Told her she was just a mom in tennis shoes, and what did she know? She became angry enough to run for office, and in fact, defeat that legislator, and then ultimately become a U.S. senator.
2: I love so, when you tell that story because thems are fighting words. <laughs> thems are fighting words, just a
0: mom in tennis shoes. I mean, really. But that's the proper reaction, and 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 when women feel like you know that they, they that they need to do something to help their families, their communities, their 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 country, they'll they'll jump to it and do it. But I think that women are still not socialized. Girls are still not socialized as much to have that kind of intention. You know, in other words, to seek those positions Mm -hmm. for the sake of seeking those positions and Mm -hmm. the power you can have to actually make a difference,
2: Mm
0: -hmm. uh, absent some specific injustice that we see. And so that's when I decided I wanted to write No Excuses. And then I realized the dynamics were exactly the same, whether it's the workplace politics or even personal relationships. Hmm. And you're right, you mentioned that the uh, the percentages of of women in the upper echelon positions in the workplace are pretty similar to that in politics. It's it's a it's under 20% across the board. And when you get to the very highest level, women are under 5% of of CEOs of the of Fortune 500 companies. They are under 5% of the CEOs and even the top leadership of media companies, the major Mm -hmm. media companies. Now, think about the impact that has on what gets to be a story and how that story gets to be framed and covered and what the media narratives are. And think about the impact that has on, on girls growing up.
2: Right. And it's a it's a sort of negatively reinforcing dynamic, as we know from um, Sam Bennett, who is, um, isn't she behind um, WCF Women's Campaign Forum? Yes, for sure? she is, <laughs> yes. Yeah, because she ran for office and experienced the most disgusting, you know, outright in-your-face sexism um, with regard to her candidacy and just completely inappropriate questions asked to her. And, of course, you know, this is the very kind of thing that is a sort of chilling effect on women who think, who finally get to the point of like, well, I'm going to do it, I'm going to give it a try, and then uh, you know, this is what they're met with, and so you know, confronting a very male-dominated media atmosphere from political punditry onward, um, you know, and and then this is what you're met with. So it's um, a very terrible self-reinforcing cycle, I think.
0: It is indeed, and, and so what I wanted to do, because I've been a practical activist all my life, and I really hate those books that tell women, oh, this is, this is what's wrong with you, <laughs> you know, this is why you don't do things, this is why you can't, this is why you, you know, you, you make all these mistakes and bad choices and so forth. So what I wanted to do is to write a book that had very practical tools and techniques that I learned on the front lines of working in social justice movements and running organizations, and also uh, that kind of advice that I could learn from other women because I, I took this opportunity to interview women all over the country and find out how they have done it, what worked for them, Um, also did considerable research into the history of the women's movement and the current Mm -hmm. status of women. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to put all that together, and that's why the subtitle of No Excuses is Nine Ways Women Can Change How We Think About Power, and those nine ways... Are very specific and practical what I call power tools that women can use when they come up against exactly what you were describing mm-hmm. i mean I, ta- I i give I give women some very specific advice about well how you deal with that conflict and controversy you know or when they come after you in the media what what is it that you can do to actually make your voice stronger and make your voice prevail so those are the kinds of very practical tools that I wanted to give women and I'm pleased to say as I've been out doing book events that th- that that's what really resonates with women and it seems to be resonating with women of all ages which is quite a pleasant surprise to me great
2: yeah i you know i i was just as inspired by um all the seasoned um politicos who are women who were were luckily reelected back into Congress as I was by Crystal Ball, you know, a first-time candidate and someone very young, a young mother, um, someone with a very young child, you know, I was inspired by them all. Um, and um, speaking of Crystal Ball, I mean, there's another person who um, got some really sort of unwelcome media attention in terms oh, of boy. Wearing, wearing a silly costume or whatever. <coughs> uh, <laughs> and so... Yeah but you you say that you know there are, there are techniques and tools and um if you just sort of power through it if you address it head on number 1 and if you power through it then it's it it should be fine and it it ended up being that way for her don't you think
0: I think it did. I did an MSNBC program with her just recently, and it was really illuminating to me to hear her talk about it. And I also saw some research that the pollster, Celinda Lake, did on women and political controversy. And both of them agreed that the way to deal with it is to ride into the wave of it, to use that controversy to give you the platform, deliver your message right on top of that platform,
1: mm-hmm. if it
0: if it comes at you, don't back off. And, and in yeah. fact, they get women candidates get much more respect when they do that. So I think that was a great lesson, and I think Crystal Ball handled it exceedingly well. I suspect we will see more from her. I believe we will see her running for office again, and I'll bet she'll be
2: successful the next
0: time around.
2: Oh, I sure hope so. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And it's interesting, just looking on the other side of the aisle, uh, Nikki Haley sort of had a similar um, you know, issue or scandal sort of crop up as to whether or not, you know, someone had had it, she'd had an affair with someone who had previously been a staffer, or, you know, it was just a, a sort of a big stink that could have really derailed her. And I noticed that she really just sort of rode into the wave of it also, and it ended up not har- harming her at all. And I think she's, you know, happily ensconced as a governor, isn't it? Uh, and that is. That
0: is true. All of that so, is true. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, very interesting. I mean, as to whether or not Nikki Haley is in favor of programs that I would consider feminist in that they support women and children and families and so, so forth, that's kind of another question. But just in terms of, like, campaign tactics and strategy, she really just had this sort of fortitude, which I grudgingly had to admire, <laughs>
0: <laughs> Absolutely, and I, you know, I'm a great believer in learning from both your friends and your adversaries when it comes to politics. You, we can learn a lot. I mean, we can learn a lot from Sarah Palin. It was interesting, actually, Crystal Ball said that one of the things that inspired her to go ahead and run was seeing Sarah Palin out there running for office in, as a mom of small children.
2: Uh huh.
0: And so, well, yeah, we can learn from we can learn from everybody, and we we mm-hmm. should learn from everybody. That doesn't mean we have to compromise our principles at all,
2: right? And I know just recently you had a fascinating discussion with um, Rebecca Traster, who I believe just recently came out with that op-ed piece about um, cowgirls. Only cowgirls yeah. get elected. Do you want to yeah. talk about that a little bit? That was so interesting. That was a great I article. It,
0: it was very interesting. Well, first of all. Rebecca is I think one of the most brilliant young feminist writers out there. I just think she is absolutely fantastic and had the pleasure and honor of of having her on a panel Sunday night at last Sunday night at the 92nd Street Y in New York. Um and and part of the fun of it was that I I wore my cowboy boots in her honor <laughs> and I told her that I didn't actually agree with her with her conclusion.
2: Uh-huh.
0: And it's interesting because she said two things basically. One, she said one of the things that she postulated was that the cowgirl is the one uniquely American political icon that mm. that is accepted by American in American politics for women. That the cowgirl can 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 win where others cannot. And, uh, can but I the remember? other thing
2: Oh I'm sorry, I go ahead. Just, I was just gonna say I remember briefly um Hillary Clinton uh, trying to dip a toe in those Annie Oakley waters and uh you know <laughs> candidates yeah. sort of calling her out on that so it, it can work, but it in that case it didn't quite the shooting quite the cowgirl boot didn't quite seem to fit. <laughs> <laughs> well,
0: what Rebecca didn't know was that I grew up in in Texas, and my father actually made western wear, so I actually grew up wearing the cow I was a cowgirl I rode horses and did all kinds of cowgirl things, so we had a good fun with it but but i what what one of the things that she surmised was that the reason more women have been elected in the western states than in the eastern states is that cowboy-cowgirl cowboy, cowgirl mentality. Yeah, I actually yeah. think that the reason that more women have been elected in the Western states is that they, these are newer cultures. And it's another one of my power tools is the idea that, that chaos is opportunity. And when there is a new culture and a new society being formed, the boundaries are much more fluid. And so, you know, people are willing to accept women taking on roles that they wouldn't have accepted in a more ossified kind of culture that had you know had been really um around for many 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 years and the other thing is i think in the western states that you know, women had to be physically strong enough to do things yeah. independently that they didn't have to do in the eastern states mm-hmm. so i i did have a little bit of disagreement with rebecca's thesis but i have to tell you she is the most brilliant writer and and i i loved the article i had great fun with it and great fun talking with her about it and i think For those who are
1: listening in i just want to mention oh. that the link to the article in question is on the momocrats facebook page And uh, we have four people in the chat room, but nobody's asked any questions yet. So anybody who has questions for Gloria, please feel free to come join us in the chat room. And um, we're watching that and looking for your questions for Gloria. Okay. Interruption
2: over. Thanks for for, uh, announcing that. With regard to um, the sort of Annie Oakley cowgirl idea, I think it's really very much like a sort of pioneer woman Vibe That is kind of explicitly tied to um, Little House on the Prairie and Laura Ingalls Wilder. I cannot remember the name of the author right now, but I remember reading this fabulous post talking about Laura Ingalls Wilder and her rock-ribbed conservative politics. And, you know, I think it's sort of a rite of passage that if you grow up a girl in America, you know, you definitely know who Barbie is, and you definitely want a pony at some point. And then you probably also have read or have some acquaintance with the Little House on the Prairie series. And Mm -hmm. I think that, you know, Sarah Palin really kind of explicitly ties herself to, you know, that sort of pioneering, um, outdoorsy, you know, groundbreaking kind of woman. Uh, she definitely fashions herself in that mold, and and I think yeah, that definitely makes sense to me. That it you know resonates with with a lot of people, and and you know when you're a little girl reading Little House on the Prairie, and Pa and Ma Ingalls and you know, Mary and so on and the rest. I mean, you're not thinking in partisan terms, you're not thinking about, you know, okay, manifest destiny, was, what were the ideological implications? <laughs> <of that? laughs> you're just thinking, like, what a fabulous story, this is a little bit of history I'm getting, and, you know, the politics of it are kind of a little disguised, and I think in the same way, um, you know, Sarah Palin sort of tapping into the pioneer woman vibe is, you know, really kind of tapping into something very powerful, but at its at its you know in a, in a true core ways there's something very conservative about it that is that is all
0: true and i you know once many years ago i conceptualized a novel that i never got around to writing but it was a lot of fun to just talk about possibly mm-hmm. writing and the the the, it was based around the first woman president. Now, this was 25 years ago that I was thinking about this and conjuring it up. And this, the, the, the first woman president would turn out to be a right-wing Republican who opposed women's reproductive rights, who loved sending young men to war, who, you know, was just like had all of those kind of uh, – wild west kinds of ways about her and it, it was almost ironic if not amusing to see so many of these characteristics actually turning out to be quite possibly the first woman vice president at any case <laughs> and uh it's it, it so in a way it's the nixon could go to china kind of thing you know it's the not the usual suspect often is the one who gets to be the first Mm -hmm. And the irony, of course, is that it has been progressive women who started most of these organizations that help women run for office that actually came up with the idea that there should be more women, more parity for women in political office and even the with the i mean for example with the women's political caucus i was talking to one of the the founders of the women's political caucus recently and she said you know it we had both republicans and democrats and we were explicitly bipartisan and everybody got along just fine and 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 it, it but but they did have certain ideological requirements the woman had to be pro-choice and support the ERA at a minimum And I think her point was that it was progressive women, whether Republicans, Democrats, or independents, who actually helped get these organizations started with the idea that we should be fighting to get more women into office. So the irony is that now that the doors have been open, we have many very right-wing conservative women who are rushing through those doors. And I think that puts progressive women... Democrats and and, and progressive independents in a very interesting situation of having to come out mm-hmm. of the closet and say, yeah, but it also matters what the woman's agenda is. Mm-hmm. I think we're in a really transformational yeah. moment right now. Yeah, I want to press yep. you sure. a little bit
2: on that bipartisanship because I know that that has been um, sort of the, the party line, so to speak, of um, you know these organizations that do such wonderful work trying to get more women into um, elected office. And I think up to a certain point, I I felt like absolutely, yes, you know, that some woman in there has to be better than no woman. But then I look at Michelle Bachman. I look at (laughs) what it was that Christine O'Donnell purported to uh, believe policy-wise. It was a little sketchy, but what I could discern of her policy statements, you know, they really didn't seem – well, they're definitely not pro-choice. You know, all kinds of – Ways in which, you know, programs that are important to low-income women, uh, working women, you know, all these kinds of things, women with children, that they would be defunded or cut back or pared away or somehow um, really uh, would set us back several years in terms of the games that we've tried to make. And so I really have a hard time now um, supporting, you know, the idea of any woman in office is better than, you know, yet another man. I'm I'm really, I wrestle with this. (laughs) I'm someone who's kind of, you know, said many occasions, it's like, well, you know, I feel like any um, game that's made by right-wing women is sort of ancillary to the main project of feminism, which I feel is, you know, social justice and women's rights and reproductive justice, so on and so forth. So I I would love, you know, more thoughts um, from you on this, because I, I just wrestle with it so much.
0: Well, I just think it's a conversation that we need to have, and we should have it now before the next election season mm. comes about. Because I, you know, I, we we don't want to get tripped up on it in the media or or any place else. I, mm-hmm. I think we need to get clear in our own minds. I personally, for me, I, I just decided. Well, I, I, yeah, it's I'm quite ready and prepared to say that it is the agenda that the woman puts forward. Uh, I I want women to reach parity and I want it to be I want that to mean that women who actually care about advancing women reach Mm parity. So
2: that's
0: that's 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 my take on it. I'd love to hear what other people have to say, but that's my that's my take on it.
2: Yeah, and I think also, you know, strongly supporting pro choice men which is always very important. Yeah. To to have allies who are stalwart and, you know, will will absolutely stand by you and on on those key votes.
1: Well, that's one of the reasons why it was so unusual this year. We had a woman nominated for governor, and uh, very few progressive women were um, supporting Meg Whitman. So she was an anti-choice candidate. Same with Carly Fiorina, who was running for Senate in our state. Mm-hmm. You know, that was a very unusual election that you had two women running against each other for Senate.
0: That's absolutely right. Yes, and, and you know, those are the kinds of things. Those are doesn't simply mean that we're 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 progressing that that means that we're actually having some success so we yeah. should celebrate that but i again i don't think it should make us we shouldn't throw us off our game it shouldn't it shouldn't make any of us feel like we need to violate our own principles and 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 that's just you know th- those things are now going to happen with increasing regularity it's 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 a more mm-hmm. complex situation it's just mm-hmm. not as clear-cut as
1: it used to be
2: right right, right. And there were, I think, what, two women who were vying for senator, was it, in Oklahoma? And one was definitely anti-choice. And then the Democratic woman, um, who ultimately lost, I believe, was sort of tepidly (laughs) pro-choice, as I recall. But, yeah, I think we're going to definitely see, you know, more more gradations of gray in terms of, you know, various stances. I mean, obviously, you know, there's Senator Barbara Boxer, who is just right out there and, you know, has always been sort of a leader in terms of feminism. And then there's Senator Dianne Feinstein, who, you know, has her own kind of um, way of approaching some of these issues, you know, a little more conservative than perhaps Senator Boxer on some and, you know, out there more on others. So, yeah, I mean, I think that the fact that we can make these distinctions and understand them and understand, uh, you know, be able to perceive these different shades of gray is, I think, progress. Absolutely, as you were saying. I think saying.
1: progressives are comfortable with shades of gray. I think <laughs> the other side likes to see everything <laughs> black and white. You yes, know, both our strength and our weakness, isn't it?
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. It can cut against us, yeah. (laughs) Well, Gloria, um, you know, very recently was the 38th anniversary. Is that right? Uh, 38th anniversary of Roe v. Wade Mm
1: -hmm. um,
2: on January 22nd. And so there's been a whole campaign with silver ribbons and, you know, remember Roe v. Wade. You know, remember how much of a struggle it was to make, you know, abortion safe and legal and, you know, how much more of a fight we have ahead of us. And so um, given, you know, your past perch at Planned Parenthood and obviously, you know, your very strong pro-choice um, commitments now, you know, maybe you can give us a sense of like just what we're at risk of losing in, you know, now that we have this 112th Congress and this uh, GOP House majority. <laughs> authority. <laughs> mm-hmm. I have a very tough message to deliver
0: on that. Mm. I actually feel that Roe versus Wade will probably not ever be overturned in its entirety because I believe that the the concept of privacy is so ingrained in American society that I don't I just wouldn't expect any Supreme Court to overturn Roe in its entirety. But I do believe that with the court cases that have chipped away at Mm -hmm. women's reproductive rights within Mm Roe, that the ruling itself is a very thin shell right now. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Uh, And that so far the court has not found any burden that it considers undue to women short of completely outlawing abortion. So my feeling is that we need to be engaged in literally creating a new concept, a new legal construct, and a new cultural, moral, ethical construct around the notion of women's human rights, mm-hmm. women's human rights to our bodily integrity. Uh, and, and, in fact, the the Freedom of Choice Act, which has been introduced many times in Congress, and in its current iteration, is a civil rights act is the way we need to approach it. Mm-hmm. It used to be, when in the first iteration of the Freedom of Choice Act, it basically codified Roe. But that was redone a few years back while I was still president of Planned Parenthood because we felt it was very important that reproductive rights had been so eroded that we really needed to start to build a very different legal basis for it
1: mm-hmm.
0: and that that legal basis needs to be that it's it's a civil right it's a it would be more of a 14th amendment equal protection kind of thing than mm-hmm. you know than a first amendment privacy freedom of speech kind of thing mm-hmm. it, we, it needs to have a stronger moral basis and and i think that you know choice is never going to trump life let's face it it's just it's just not Mm -hmm. And so we need to have something that's stronger than choice, stronger than privacy, that really gets to the integrity of the woman as a human being Mm -hmm. and our valuing of the woman as an equal citizen who has the moral and legal and ethical capabilities to make her own decisions about childbearing. And so, I really think that that we should start introducing the Freedom of Choice Act as a civil rights act state by state by state not that I think it's going to pass everywhere mm-hmm. but I think it you you have to put it out there so that so that then you can start the conversation right. and and mm-hmm. it may take decades but I think we have to build an entirely new movement I know that's a radical thing to say if anybody wants to See more about how i feel about that or how i actually articulate it i wrote a piece for the democracy journal a couple of years ago called and i have it it i have it on my website also my website is gloriafelt.com and the na- name of the article is beyond row and toward human rights for women mm-hmm. and i really tried to lay that out as we just you know the it's not that it's privacy is important, it's necessary, but it's not sufficient and it's never going to be and we're going to keep fighting these defensive battles over and over and over again. We're going to keep getting pushed back until we actually assert that women are fundamentally human beings and <laughs> need to be treated as such.
2: I know, a startling revelation, isn't it? Isn't it, though? So? <laughs> <laughs> How Gosh, radical you. is that? Well, <laughs> and we know that... Um, The anti-choice forces are really, you know, chomping at the bit in order to get their agenda going. And um, I've been tracking a little bit H.R. 3, which, you know, they are starting to mobilize on Capitol Hill. Um, I know that it's been explained to me as it codifies the Hyde Amendment. Can you unpack that a little bit for folks who aren't completely up to speed on what that might mean? Well, codifying the Hyde Amendment means
0: that no government funds can be used to, in any way,
2: shape or form,
0: and 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 I'll unpack that piece of it in just a moment. Okay. That it can that, that no government funds can be used to provide abortion services. Now, the sticky wicket that we're into with health reform is that that is ne- that that the current attempt is to apply. That principle to any insurance plan in the in the insurance pool that it's, people might call upon to actually even you know to pay for with their own money.
2: It smells like Stupak pits all over again. Is well, of course somewhat, it is. It's yeah. it's
0: yeah. I mean, yeah. and 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 it, and it was it's um yeah. I mean, it's first of all, the whole idea of the Hyde Amendment is wrong. It's it's. It's just wrong, I mean it, abortion services are a part of basic women 's health care and should be treated as such, and should be as most insurance plans do cover it and and it's it's a part of basic women 's health care mm-hmm. it's a as it's just you know and those who oppose it also try to then designate certain kinds of birth control as abortifacients. So, mm-hmm. And that includes birth control pills right? and emergency contraception. And so it's just a huge sticky wicket. It's a very big minefield. And frankly, I think, you know, we shouldn't just be opposing measures of that nature. We should be re- revealing the basic injustice of the Hyde Amendment to begin with. I mean, that has made poor women hostages. Mm-hmm. To uh, a healthcare system that doesn't treat them
1: mm-hmm. as equals. Mm-hmm.
0: So, and forces them into very difficult choices that they have to make. And, and so, again, I just feel like we need a whole new approach.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more. And um, I think that in some ways, it, it sort of puzzled me a little bit why. Uh, Antonine Scalia, one of the um, Supreme Court justices, kept saying, kept making a point to say that he did not think that women's rights were <laughs> enunciated in the Constitution in any way, et cetera, so on and so forth. And I kept puzzling, like, why does he keep bothering to say this? I mean, it just it seems so out there. And I think that it, in some ways maybe it is him trying to get out in front of this whole um, – discussion of um, women's bodily rights as human rights um, in some yes. way, to try to save yes. that off. Because uh, mm-hmm. other, otherwise it just doesn't make any sense because it just really seems to come out of left field. Yes.
0: Now, I mean, of course, uh, African Americans also didn't have rights within the Constitution
1: mm-hmm. or at
0: best were considered, what, three-fifths of a person? Right. So, I mean, surely he is not going to defend that, and I, he needs to be confronted on that. I mean, mm-hmm. that, that needs to be pointed out. It's, uh,
1: right.
0: we're, we really are talking about just basic fundamental principles of American equality, liberty, and justice. Mm-hmm. It's nothing more than that. It's not even more complicated than that. Right,
2: right. I completely agree. I think there's a big, long, lifetime battle ahead of us all. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and I'm I'm hoping that the momocrats are ready to take it on.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well,
2: you know, we are moms for choice. You know, yeah. we are moms by choice, and we I'm are moms for choice. That's right. That's right. So oh dear. We need, we need to be powerful spokespeople, spokeswomen, You know, on on that front, definitely. Yeah. Um. <clears throat> so let's see. I um, I guess I wanted to. Um, also ask you, um, in terms of the book, um, you know, uh, about, uh, let's see, where was I? Um, We talked about cowgirls. We talked about (laughs) Roe. I I guess I was actually wondering, too, because I think that in terms of um, there being sort of a chilling effect, I mean, I think really – What's so wonderful about your book it seems to me is that you're taking away all the reasons why women tell themselves, Well, I can't do that or I I I wouldn't think of doing that, right? And and taking away those reasons and saying, Well, yeah, of sure of course you can and I think that in some ways, um, the recent um I'm thinking of two things, obviously, um, the assassination attempt on Gabrielle Gifford's, you know, Has definitely put a chill in the air. I think even male congressional Mm -hmm. representatives are now sort of slowly awakening to the fact that, you know, by being public officials and being in the public eye and having a certain profile, that, you know, it's it's this that a mentally ill person or a disturbed person who has a a gun of some kind could easily target anyone, right, who's in in the public profile in that way. Right. so, so there's now that that has kind of been introduced in our political culture. And uh, and then I think there's also kind of the disturbing issue of um, Glenn Beck, for example, targeting Professor Francis Fox Pibbin, and um, a lot of the rhetoric really just being over the top. Of course it's Glenn Beck, so, you know, half of it doesn't even make sense, and the other half isn't true, uh, but, you know, <laughs> He's really, you know, sort of targeting this one professor as sort of an enemy of the state, like this horrible, you know, communist infiltrate. I don't even know, like, what he's trying to say. She is, but it's just scary, and we're just supposed to be scared by it, apparently. But um, I think that's kind of another way that, you know, ideologically, that you know, he's trying to make a big enemy out of her. And I've read in the Nation and other places that, uh, you know, she's received some death threats, etc. So there's another way that. Um, as women are making games at the same time, there are these forces that are, you know, trying to pull pull us back in terms of um, us feeling safe, us feeling empowered, feeling in, enabled and, you know, powerful enough to kind of confront these sorts of forces. So I wonder if you have some comment on that. It's not new to me. It's
0: certainly not new to me. Uh, certainly in my life with Planned Parenthood, I experienced... The escalation, I was the head of Planned Parenthood both in Arizona and then in the national Mm -hmm. organization during the time of the greatest escalation of anti-choice activism and at the time when Operation Rescue began their clinic blockades, at the time when uh, we were having bomb threats, uh, literally bombings, burnings. uh, I personally had death threats, picketers at my home, stalkers, you name it. And I'll tell you, what I learned from that is that you never benefit by backing off. You have to learn to be, you can learn to be very prudent and careful and Mm -hmm. to take measures. And and, and I actually, um, I serve on the board of Emerge America, which helps women, Democratic women run for office. And I have offered to, you know, to help them and have enlisted some security professionals to just try to, you know, to do a, a, a Seminar at some point to mm-hmm. to give them just the basic things that people need to do to protect themselves. And when I saw what happened in Tucson, I, my immediate thought was, "Oh my goodness, they should never have set up in that in that space where mm. there was nothing in the ba- you know nothing behind them, and it, there was such easy physical access that was just a security nightmare to begin with." So there mm. are specific things you can learn to do to protect yourself, but the most important thing is is the mindset. And I, I, I it's incredibly important not to let terrorists run your life. Mm-hmm.
1: It's incredibly
0: important not to let them win. It's in- incredibly important. The only antidote to the Glenn Beck's is for our voices to be stronger and for our message to to resonate more. That's the only real antidote to it. And so we have to really look at it that way. And um, I don't make light of any of it. I I, I certainly don't. You know, I have a lot of empathy for people who put themselves in harm's way, but it's true for men as well as for women. I mean, up to now it's been, you know, with the assassinations, the political assass- assassinations were of male mm-hmm. political leaders. And um, and yes, so as women reach equality in those positions, it's not unlikely that women may become the targets too. But that again is what equality is about. It's It's you know we take our equal place, and together, I think men and women have to create a more just and civil society and Frankly, I think that having more women in office is one of the things that can actually help transform that political process if we are willing to assume leadership on that you know um the, the World Bank did studies of parliaments all across the world, and they concluded that those parliaments that had 30% or more women in them made better decisions and were less likely to go headlong into, into violent kinds of situations. So we we got to, you know, if we want half of the... If we want to have half of the positions in the world, we have to be willing to take half of the responsibility, and so we're going to have to learn. And and again, I have some very specific tips, tools, and the power tools and no excuses. For example, I tell women to embrace controversy Mm -hmm. because you can make controversy your friend. Uh, As I already mentioned, carpe the chaos understand that there are ways you can actually use these situations to your advantage. Uh, one of my favorite ones is wear the shirt. A friend of mine once said the fastest way to self-esteem is to stand up for what you believe. And 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 so the, the metaphor of wearing the shirt to me is, is you know, it expresses that. I, I just think that when we don't speak up for what we believe in the small things, that's when the big ish, big things get out of control. And yeah. we gotta and we gotta we gotta be there.
2: Yeah. And I think I think this needs to take place on a very small scale also because I think it's you know, it's one thing to scream at the T V and try to shut Glenn back down, which, you know, is, is quite an effort <laughs> requiring mm-hmm. a lot of people. But um, the reason I'm thinking of this is that um, recently it came to light that one of the Momocrats, um, very politically active, high mm-hmm. social media profile, Erin um, Kotecki-Vest, who is mm-hmm. our beloved Queen of Spain, um, had been the recipient of some really, really nasty, um, mm-hmm. violent-sounding um, kinds of threats on Twitter, uh, you know, just various... Places around, and um, you know it's it's just very disturbing um, seeing that so close to home. I mean, we all love Erin to death. I mean, that's a terrible, yeah, <laughs> terrible way to put it. But that term. We, we love her to pieces, and um, yeah. and so obviously, you know, it's a, something that was very con- concerning for all of us. And um, you know, she is a very outspoken, strong voice, and so we wanted to know how to support her. And I think that. Um, you know, one thing that has become a little more clear to me is that um, there seems to be sort of like a civil liberties sort of sense of like, well, you know, when the government comes knocking, you know, these companies like Facebook and Twitter and so on and so forth, they shouldn't, you know, be so easy to cough up personal information. And while on a sort of civil liberties front, I, I completely understand that. I think that when stalkers and violent people are trying to use these sort of social media to harass and threaten um, other people, Many, most of the time it's women, uh, then I think there needs to be another kind of level of responsibility in terms of cooperating with the authorities. And, um, you know, I think in many cases that has not been as easy as it needs to be because I think women online, you know, it's, it's yeah, online stalking as well you know, online threats. And I think that, you know, yes, we we speak out on that. And I think that it, you know, for those of us who are in her circle, if we come around her and say, you know, this is unacceptable, this is not right, you know, then we we play our small role in trying to stop it. But I think there's, you know, there's also the responsibility of the social media corporations or companies.
0: Absolutely, yeah. absolutely, and 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 I think you know the other small ways that we can be helpful uh, include putting some positive comments onto other people's other women's blogs. If they're getting if they're getting these really mean, nasty, threatening uh, posts, then it's incumbent upon those of us who see them to counter them with our own positive. words for that individual woman, and to call the offending person on their behavior. And that actually, you've seen that happen, I'm sure, in group situations before, where there's somebody who is just raising a big ruckus, and at first people are quiet and they back off, and then after a while they've had it, and they start taking that individual on, and that's what ultimately changes the game. Mm-hmm. and and so you know we we do we can do it in in absolutely in small ways i in in my case i really appreciate it when people write positive comments say for example a positive review on amazon because i have my personal trolls yes yeah. and it appears to yeah. me i i had some i had two people i was getting five stars on all the reviews that people were putting on amazon and suddenly two One star reviews popped up, and they were almost exactly alike. They were clearly the party line. We hate Gloria, you know. (laughs) (laughs) As I said, I have my personal trolls. Right. And what I saw over time was, it appears to me that those, I mean, wonderful people. I don't even know who they were, but eventually those two uh, one star reviews disappeared because I believe the Amazon people got enough pushback that they realized that those were just trolls and they weren't legitimate reviews (laughs) Mm
1: -hmm. and
0: so they're gone Uh, but that's the kind of thing that can really help and it's you don't it doesn't take a whole lot of effort it's just the small things that we do on a daily basis you see a little injustice you say something about it makes a big difference
2: yeah i think in fact letting not letting the little things slide in fact helps the bigger things from snowballing too much, and I feel like we've let maybe a few too many things slide here and there, and so now we've got some really big problems that are going to take a lot you know, of effort to sort of <laughs> root out and and you know get get us into more healthy track. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. But um. Yeah. So I don't want to kind of dwell too much on the on the right. we also only
1: have two minutes
2: left. Yeah. Well, on a positive note, on a very positive note,
1: <laughs> yes.
0: I would like to, first of all, just thank everybody who has been so incredibly supportive of No Excuses and um, and to invite anyone who's interested in, in having conversations about the nine ways to come to the blog that I created called Nine Ways, on my website, gloriafelt.com. So I use that one to talk about the nine ways and to, it, to to provide a space for women to share their stories about how they have either empowered themselves or realized that they had the power to do something and and could share that with with others. And um, uh, the other blog that I have had for quite some time that really focuses more on politics is called Heartfelt. Heartfelt spelled like my last name with a D, F-E-L-D-T. And so I just, uh, I would just want to invite anyone. And that's anyone. your
1: Twitter handle.
0: Uh, well, you know, I actually had to start using my real name on my Twitter oh, okay. handle. <laughs> yeah, I know. I had to give up Heartfelt. It's still out there. I can't Aww. quite. I didn't close out the account because I just love it.
1: Uh-huh. But
0: I, 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 I needed to actually uh, use my real name. So okay. I'm, I'm at Gloria Felt, but. Great. Yeah, maybe I'll resurrect heartfelt sometime because I really liked I really liked her. <laughs> yeah, I liked her
2: too. <laughs> and so, don't forget when you go looking online that it is spelled with a D, F E L D, as in dearest, T. dot com. Yes. So. Thank yeah. you. And uh, oh.
1: if you do get the book, I see on your website that you will sign a nameplate for anybody who sends in an email. I will do that. I discovered
0: as I was doing book events that sometimes the booksellers didn't have enough books. And so my solution was that I got some book plates printed and then I realized I should just let people know if you're out there, maybe you ordered it from Amazon or you ordered it from someplace else and or, or you're someplace where I don't get to see you and do a book event where I'm actually with you physically that I would be delighted to sign a book plate to anyone who would like to have one. So just drop me an, an email on, and I'm happy to do it.
1: On that note, we've got less than 20 seconds, so we're going to say thank you to Gloria for joining us. It was fabulous. And we'll see you all next week at our usual time on MamaCraft's Mama Chat.
2: Thanks so much, Gloria. You're wonderful. Thank you.
0: Thank you. Thank you both. Bye-bye. Bye.